0: Hey, this is Jim Gray online and you're listening to the Frequency FM podcast. Check out Frequency.fm. Welcome to another episode of the Frequency podcast. This is Joe Brookhouse. You're listening to episode number 16, if you're counting. Hope you guys are all doing well. Um, I'm gonna be doing this one solo. Uh, Dan and I spoke and we uh, decided that we would task him with the uh, unenviable chore of editing and otherwise making sense of uh, our intro banter for two forthcoming episodes of the podcast. We've got two of those that are just really ready to go at any minute. One is with Jared Hasek, from the band Compliments of Gus out of Australia, had a great conversation with him. And the other is the, uh, the long-awaited Gabriel Allred interview. Uh, Dan and I just had way, way too much fun on our uh, intro banter there. And frankly, Gabriel shares so much great information that he and I, uh, Dan and I had enough to talk about that we realized we, we may have to trim this back so that we don't have people on the hook there for an hour and a half. Uh, those are going to be coming out shortly, but uh, while he's working on those, I get to host this one solo. It's not nearly as fun as uh, when Dan and I host together, but uh, generally it's a, a more expedient process. I hope you're all doing well. For me, it's the week after Easter, and since I am a worship leader at my church, it was a, well, it's just a very busy season leading up to that event. Those of you who, out there who are worship leaders or participate on a worship team, you can understand what I'm talking about. I'm grateful to have the chance to decompress and get back to a bit of normalcy and sit down and do some recording for Frequency for you. Our guest this episode is Claire Diaz Ortiz, who just released a new book called Hope Runs, and we wanted you to hear about it now while it's hot off the press. It was actually released on April 15th, and uh, we wanted to get this interview out rather than wait for a couple of weeks for it, for it to grow stale. Uh, since her book just came out. As you'll hear in the episode, Claire is a pretty remarkable individual. She's got a list of accomplishments to her name that goes uh, on down my arm and uh, up back up my other arm, a list that most of us won't attain in our lifetime. She's pretty impressive. Uh, she is the author of several books, but most of those address business, productivity, or technology. Now, her new book, which is called Hope Runs, is a, is a very personal, it's a joint memoir that she wrote with her Kenyan foster son, Sammy, about their journey together. From meeting him in an orphanage back in 2006 to spending a year living in his orphanage and starting a nonprofit organization. So ultimately bringing Sammy back to the United States five years ago. I do want to note that Claire recorded this interview while on bed rest, nearly eight months pregnant with her daughter, Lucia. Uh, You'll hear a reference to this factoring our chat. We actually recorded this interview a couple of months ago for uh, for the sake of getting the interview captured before her daughter would be born because the timing was such that Her daughter was uh, was due right around the same time as the book was released, so she was working in advance to try to get this stuff done, which is really the kind of person that Claire is. Well, this having been said, let's not waste any more time and get right to our interview with Claire Diaz-Ortiz. Hi, this is Joe Brookhouse for Frequency. For our interview today, we're going to be chatting with Claire Diaz-Ortiz. Did I pronounce that right?
1: Yes, you pronounced it perfectly. Okay.
0: You know, one should actually look these things up before pushing record on the interview. But um, mm. Claire is an author, speaker, and technology innovator. Um, she's been named one of the 100 most creative people in business by Fast Company and is referred to in magazine Wired Magazine as the woman who got the Pope on Twitter. Now, I'm going to have to ask about that later because uh, I grew up Catholic, so that's just very intriguing to me. <laughs> but anyway, we're going to be talking about her most recent work, a book called Hope Runs, Uh, Before we get into the book, though, Claire, would you mind saying hi to folks so I don't just take over everything?
1: Yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here and chat today.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Um, so for folks who might not immediately know your name um, or be familiar with you, is it possible to get a, a quick introduction to Claire Diaz-Ortiz?
1: Sure. I think uh, your bio pretty much covers it, but basically I, I spend a lot of time online doing uh, writing and speaking, and I also have, I have a day job out in Silicon Valley, so I'm kind of I'm kind of a, a mixed mutt of different things.
0: It seems like, and I visited your uh, blog site, and we'll link to that once we get there. But it seems like you have so many interests, and you're involved in so many things that when I picked up Hope Runs and I and had, did a little bit of research, I wasn't, I didn't immediately understand uh, the connection until I really started reading the book. Maybe you can tell us about the book Hope Runs. I'm reading the cover Hope Runs An American Tourist, A Kenyan Boy, A Journey of Redemption. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what this book is?
1: Sure. So yeah, it's true. If if folks have ever heard anything about me at all, it's just that, you know, I, I write a business blog that has a good following and that I work out in Silicon Valley. But I think that uh, well, I should say for that reason, I think this isn't necessarily the book folks expected me to write. Yeah. Um, Hope Runs is really a joint memoir with me and my foster son. And it goes back to kind of how how I really got started on, on the internet, essentially. Um, it all kind of happened around the same time. In 2006, I was traveling around the world for a year. And in that time, that was the first time I really started a blog. And, you know, I hit publish on a blog while I was in a in a dirty hostel in Madrid after running my first marathon, the Madrid Marathon, and that was my first blog post. And I didn't know what would happen. And over the course of that year, the blog became very popular. And at the time, um, you know, I was blogging on Blogger dot com, that plat- blog spot, that platform. And those folks ended up being the folks that ended up um, starting Twitter the company. And so that was sort of how I ended up um, getting involved early on with the company. But while this was all happening, I was on this year long journey and the last stop on this trip around the world was Kenya. I had been traveling with my best friend for these nine months and we went to Kenya to climb Mount Kenya. We'd already climbed to the base camp of Mount Everest in a few week trek and we really wanted to do another one. And so we Got off the plane in Nairobi and spent a couple days in Nairobi and then one morning were picked up to stay at a, to, to drive over to go on a long drive to stay overnight at a guest house that was actually owned by an orphanage. And the guest house had just been recommended to us as a cheap place to stay the night essentially before climbing the mountain because the guest house was right next to the mountain. So that morning we, we woke up in Nairobi and there was this van honking at the front gate and it was a van full of teenagers and I didn't know who they were and I was so confused. I knew we were trying to, you know, get transport to the guest house and it turns out this was the orphanage had sent a van. So again, you know, the orphanage owns this guest house. All I cared about was just a place to sleep that night. I wasn't thinking about interacting at all with an orphanage. And so here we were, you know, in the back of the van for this all-day drive up to the orphanage and when we arrived, uh, they said, you know, hey, before you go to the guest house, we really want you to have lunch with our elders. So they took us into a, a room, uh, on the side of, the side of the church at the orphanage. So it's the orphanage grounds had a church on it and a guest house in the orphanage itself. And it was really in the middle of that lunch that I think sort of my, my whole life changed. And I realized, um, kind of I, I, I felt God in a way I hadn't ever before and realized that I wanted to stay at this place. And so we ended up living at the orphanage for a year, my best friend and I, um, in an orphanage apartment they had on the first floor. And it was on that first day that I met Sammy, who is now 21. and Wow. Um, but at the time he was 13. And we just struck up a bond immediately. And I kind of... Knew at once that our relationship was going to somehow change me. And so over the course of that year living there, we became closer and closer. And eventually we ended up bringing him to the US a few years later where he uh, has been for about five years. And um, this book is basically a story of kind of our journey of my journey of just sort of randomly ending up at that orphanage and Sammy's journey of, you know, ending up at that orphanage and then eventually ending up in the U.S. and then kind of beyond, and all his experiences in the last five or so years.
0: I think one of the coolest parts about this book is that it—it it almost seems, and maybe that you can confirm this for me—that it was—it's I mean, written definitely from two different perspectives. That made it very intriguing to me to get to certain areas of the book where, for instance, he—I think you uh, offended him inadvertently right out of the gate, didn't you?
1: <laughs> I did. So the first. I guess it was so, you know, we we met him that very first day and then we decided, you know, after a few days of staying at the orphanage that, okay, um, we were going to live there for a year and first we went home back to California for me where I spent the holidays with my family. I hadn't seen them in, you know, a year since I'd been traveling and when we arrived back in Kenya after the holidays, um, you know, I, I saw Sammy again and the first thing I said was, hey aren't you in eighth grade? And, you know, based on their school calendar, he had already graduated from eighth grade and was now now in high school. And a really big thing happens after eighth grade in Kenya, which is the boys go through their ritual circumcision. And this is a really big moment when they... When they become men, essentially. So me, for the first, you know, the first time I see him again, this is after I've asked my parents to adopt him. I've been so convicted that I, I want this boy in my life and I immediately go and offend him right away. And I think he then didn't talk to me for a period of days or weeks or something, but then finally realized that strategy wasn't going to work because I was going to be in his face enough. So
0: he got over it. (laughs) Well, that was as, as a man reading his side of, uh, that transition of manhood there, um, was awful. I can relate to that. We can move on from that conversation, but that's certainly something that uh, <laughs> people, as they read the book, when you read these cultural differences, and that's a pretty significant one, that uh, that right of manhood that he had there, that um, we, this is just a, two people coming from very different perspectives and uh, in, informing their view of what's a what's occurring
1: yeah and it's so interesting also i mean to realize that again we're talking about you know a christian orphanage a presbyterian orphanage the vast majority of orphanages in east africa and in kenya are christian and presbyterian but there are these massive cultural differences happening at the same time so we might go to the same church and pray to the same god on sundays but there's all this other stuff kind of going on that has um really impacted our relationship over the years and sort of what what that dynamic means
0: is your friend is it Lara or Laura I want to pronounce it right. it's
1: Lara Lara yeah. okay Yeah, Lara
0: when when she comes back and he he makes the comment that she's she looks nice and plump or I can't remember exactly what mm-hmm. he said you know I just started laughing because I just I understand in their culture why that's a compliment i mean it means you're living a healthy life um, and it's certainly different for us.
1: Right. No, whenever we go back to Kenya and they tell us we look plumper, it's, it's not really our favorite moment, but they're trying to be nice.
0: <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a compliment. It just, it doesn't mean anything to us. So or it have already just means the opposite believe, to us. Right. <laughs> reading about was after he got to the united states and we're kind of getting that reverse culture shock from what you were experiencing as you were learning what it was like in kenya you you comment about how his life is very much almost fate driven despite his faith you know his perspective has been he's been at the right place at the right time and that that was made it a little more difficult for him in terms of long-term, not long-term planning, but at least uh, having a vision for what the future should be. And
1: Yeah, I think over and over again when people ask me, you know, how was the cultural transition for Sammy? What was it like to come to the U.S. as a, I guess he was 15, 16 when he arrived, you know, to to go to a fancy high school in the U.S. coming from this orphanage in Kenya. And, you know, Sammy, we've through our nonprofit organization, which is called Hope Runs, like the title of the book, we've seen a number of kids kind of try their hand, Kenyan kids, I should say, try their hand um, in other countries for a year or two, uh, trying to, you know, attend high school or go to college and that sort of thing. And I think more than any other youth I've seen from Kenya, Sammy has handled the transition extremely well. Uh, he was able to immediately, you know, make friends. He's a super outgoing guy. And just feel at home at high school in the U.S. But I think that over the years, the main main cultural difference we've seen, and the really hard thing about this transition, has been realizing that the <laughs> incredible tragedy of of his early life of being an AIDS orphan of living you know on his own in a tiny shack, and then eventually being saved by an orphanage, uh, instilled in him, despite his faith, this this kind of unshakable idea that he really didn't have control over life, that life just kind of happened to him. You know, first, first dad dies then mom leaves you. And then, you know, you get shoved in a shack by yourself and then, Hey, you win the lottery because, you know, a great orphanage comes and finds you and you get three meals a day and a nice bed and clothes to go to school. And then, Hey, you win the lottery again because you happen to meet some white girls who, who want to bring you to the U S and bring you under their wing. and, these strange kind of things have happened to him, and um, I think it really has felt for him that they really ha- have happened to him, and that he hasn't uh, been been as much of an actor at times in them, but more yeah. kind of a, a passive passive participant. And so I think that has been hard in terms of in terms of, you know, when we, when we've looked at his next steps in terms of when he graduated from college, graduated from high school, what he did for the year after. And now as he looks toward college and it's definitely been a huge, huge kind of cultural issue, uh, with us, you know, with our strange sort of kind of mother son relationship. And it's, I, I, I see it as being a real ongoing issue for, for his life, for his, you know, the span of his life, I think he'll always kind of confront this.
0: Yeah. And as, as you just alluded to a moment ago, because you mentioned he's your he's your foster son, and he's 21. And I don't know how old you are, and I don't know if that's at a point where it's a sensitive subject yet, but you guys are, are relatively close <laughs> in age. And do you, do you mind telling people a little bit about how that might be more unique than people would look at from the outside before they pick up the book?
1: Well, yeah, it's kind of, uh, yeah. So we're less than a dozen years apart. Um, I had initially asked my parents to adopt Sammy and they said that wasn't really right for them. Um, in most countries in the world, you can't adopt anyone who's less than 25 years younger than you. So adoption was not going to be an option for us. So the way we were able to bring him legally to the U S was by finding a high school to sponsor his visa. And then we serve as his like legal and financial guardians essentially. Um, so if you ask him what our relationship is, it usually takes him about 30 seconds to describe that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And
0: uh, we've kind
1: of, we've kind of reverted to the phrase kind of foster son, foster mom, because it seems like it best kind of encompasses what, what this relationship is, but it's definitely been a challenge. And I think, that i will say i mean the 12 year difference or less than 12 year difference it probably feels more than that simply because of the type of life he's led and he is also you know as many orphaned and vulnerable children are he went through periods where he was out of school so he is a few years behind in terms of school so his you know age mates right now are, are all nineteen, so you know his friends are kind of that age. So it gives him a, it gives us a couple more year difference, I yeah. guess.
0: There had to be an incredibly strong bond for you to, um, to find such an innovative way to get him over here. One thing I didn't get right away was. How that connection really formed between the two of you. I didn't see how, how that you guys gelled so quickly.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I think people say that a lot. They, they ask kind of why, you know, what about Sammy? There were 170 kids there. What was it? And it was literally from the first moment I talked to him, I just felt like he was completely different. I mean, we had our first conversation. He told me some, you know, ridiculous story of how much he loved watching Obama on, you know, their, <laughs> orphanage dining room television and i remember just being stunned that he even knew who obama was obama was a senator at the time and obviously obama has you know strong kenyan roots but i still felt so surprised by this um and he just had i mean from the beginning his excellent english i think really helped us to connect yeah but more than anything i think there was a connection in terms of personality sammy is extremely sort of has a very he's very funny but has a very strange sarcastic sense of humor and we really connected on that early on and he more than any of the kids there had a very kind of uh, advanced take on visitors and what it meant to have a visitor in in his midst essentially for many of of the kids at the orphanage they had seen short-term missionaries come in every so often for you know four or five day periods um, but that had been kind of the extent to their exposure to Westerners. And in Sammy's few years at the orphanage at that time, he'd really been able to develop kind of a, an, an ability to, I guess, connect with international folks in a way that a lot of the other kids didn't have. That was really beyond his years. You know, we yeah. met when he, I guess, had just turned 13 and he, you know, many of his peers would, would ask funny questions like, oh, so you just got off the plane, where did the plane land over in that field? You know, things like very, very out of touch things, right? Not understanding that, no, the airplane lands at an airport in Nairobi, it didn't land in the field, you know, things like that. If they saw a plane in the air, they would say, oh, is that the plane you came in on? Things like that. And Sammy was just kind of light years ahead of that. And I think that helped kind of forge this early bond of maybe – uh, me seeing someone who was like me in a different place in a
0: way. When you connect with somebody, it's sometimes it's hard to explain whether it's a good friendship or whether it's a, whether it's the, how you met your husband, as you explain in the book as well. So <laughs> it's just obvious that there's a, an affection there that can be difficult to describe. I, I love how he describes you as family. It doesn't matter. She's family. If people are looking for a more specific definition based on our own Cultural uh, identity. Um, get over it. It's family. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: At any rate, let me kind of ask more general, a couple general questions about the book. Considering that what your your business focus is, hope runs is really is different. And I'm wondering why you came at it at this point. Why why is now the right time to write the book? And really, what are your what are your hopes for the book in terms of people who uh, who pick it up?
1: I mean, I think honestly, in terms of the timing for the book, I think that it could have been written a few years ago. I think it just sort of happened to be now. Um, this story is, you know, one that's been evolving over time, but I think there were many different sort of points of time in which we could have said, okay, put a pin in it, you know, let's publish it now. So I yeah. think uh, maybe the timing of it was was less kind of important than um, getting out the story eventually. And I think our hope is just that, well, I think it's, it's twofold. It's, you know, we hope that this will kind of help expand opportunities for Sammy going forward, obviously. Yeah. Um, and secondarily, I think we just really hope that this will help to engage people in a better kind of cross-cultural exchange about some of the issues that come up in the book. Um, you know, one of the big, big sort of themes in the book is this idea of, what a a missionary or a foreigner can be doing in another place to, to help and provide support and to engage in relationships with people who are there. And I think that Sammy and I both hope that, um, the book will open some of that dialogue. Obviously, one of Sammy's greatest, greatest strengths in the world is being able to kind of have both perspectives on things. You know, if you, if you send Sammy on a short term mission trip today, it's, it's a really fascinating experience for most of the other short term missionaries to see a kid who A teenager now who is able to say, Hey, you know, I know what it was like to receive all this support from missionaries growing up. And now I know what it's like to, to give that help to others. And I think for him, a particular thing that we talk about in the book a bit is when he graduated from high school in the U S you know, he had done various sort of volunteer and charity things during high school to support the orphanage back at home But he decided that he really wanted to do something bigger. And so the year after graduating from high school, he took part in a – he became a fellow in a nonprofit organization that sent him to Ecuador to do a year of basically service projects in a really rural, poor community. And I think that was a really big kind of changing – a moment of change in his life. Kind of that, that year of him really understanding what it meant to all of a sudden be kind of seen as privileged in another place and to be the one who has the resources and all, all that means, you know, all the, all the kind of baggage and the, and the gifts that come along with that. So I I think that's sort of this, this concept of what it means to help in another place and what it means to build relationship with other cultures is the type of dialogue we most want to, to come out of reading Hope Runs.
0: I know that, I mean, there's certain, definitely certain acts that take place in the book. And that last act as he was in Ecuador was, I think, probably as fascinating as anything because the, with the flip of perspective that he got in, in being in that role, there had to be a huge shift. And then also remembering what I was like when I was a teenager, which was a mess. I can't even imagine <laughs> all these things that um, that he's experiencing with all these different perspectives that he has and your visit down, mm-hmm. down there to kind of, let's say, uh, adjust things appropriately when he was not adjusting as well as he probably should.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, it was, um, it was interesting. We all took a trip down there. I guess he'd been there about a few months. And I mean, most of his problems in Ecuador were basically the same problems I'd had when I'd gone and done similar type volunteering programs in my youth. You know, he, he felt his host mother was too strict and he was... You know, sometimes frustrated by his volunteer placement and things like that. Um, so they were relatively, I guess, easy to, to solve or to troubleshoot. But I think more than anything for, for me and Laura and for our husbands being there and visiting him in that environment, it was just, just kind of a crazy, crazy moment of thinking, wow, I just, you know, I can barely, I can barely believe this is the same kid we met, you know, I guess it had been eight years before at that point or something and to just think about kind of the changes that he had, he had gone through to get from, you know, this little kid in an orphanage to, to a teenager helping in another land.
0: I mentioned earlier, just as I was reading it, it seemed like uh, as Sammy's part was written, as your part was written, uh, did you guys work together to write or was it done kind of in isolation as it was being written?
1: Yeah, we we definitely worked together very much to write, but I mean, I should say that... Kind of initially, the the structure of the book wasn't the initial structure that we had thought of. So I think that in many ways, um, we each had stories to tell, and then we worked to weave them together. If that makes sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I felt as I was reading it, it was like, okay, I picked up Sammy's journal, and I'm reading what's going on, mm-hmm. and then we stopped, and I'm going to go over here and and read yours, mm-hmm. and um, how you know it takes a while for everybody to come together. And I really actually sure. appreciated that because it established a foundation of, of you two as individuals because obviously you existed mm-hmm. before you met. But just mm-hmm. the way that you um, uh, continue to share, despite the fact that you guys are, are close, some perspectives that, you know, as you're concerned about him growing and acclimating to the culture, you're very, uh, you're very open about that and not in an apologetic sense. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned uh, just a few minutes ago that this could have occurred You could have published this a number of times. Have this been kind of an ongoing project for you guys, and this just seemed like the good place to to wrap it up?
1: Yeah, I think so, and I think also it was, I mean, just in terms of pure logistics, it was a question of timing. It would have been really hard for us to do this while he was still in high school, essentially. Oh, yeah. Um, So it was good to do it right after he kind of graduated and had a year in Ecuador, and then he's now spending... Sometime back in Kenya right now before he comes back to college in the U.S. So this was kind of the right time for, um, for him and his life in order to take on this kind of project. Also. Okay.
0: Well, it's definitely an ongoing story. I, 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 know when I came to the end, I'm like, but I want to know more, but then we're, we're present yeah.
1: time. We're <laughs> present time. Right. No, it's not over yet. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> and and I, I, kind of enjoy the fact that there's not, it's not like a, a clean wrap up resolution. It's, Hey, life is still going on. This is real. I think that vests the people who are reading it even more is that Sammy's only 21, man. He's got so much going on. And and I haven't mentioned this yet, but I'm going to mention it now, that uh, you're on a a new journey that's going to be about six weeks from now, right?
1: Yeah, we're so excited. We've gone through infertility for a few years now. And so we were really, really blessed to uh, find out we were pregnant in the fall or in the late summer of 2013 and but the the funny thing is that the timing on the baby is is pretty ridiculous the book comes out basically seven days before the babies do so um it, it wasn't wasn't perfect timing by uh by by my standards but i guess it was perfect timing by god's right
0: yeah we have to submit to his uh his timing on these things yeah. so yeah yeah <laughs> Right now, by the way, for folks who are listening, we're recording this in early March. And uh, yeah, with a book coming out uh, April 15th, uh, it's uh, important for Claire to get a lot of these interviews in in the event that um, she doesn't have the opportunity later.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: Well, now you mentioned Hope Runs as the nonprofit organization. And as you read the book, you learn about that. For folks who don't know what Hope Runs is. Maybe you could just tell us briefly or how, or you can take your time, your choice, what Hope Runs is and what it's doing.
1: Sure. So Hope Runs is a nonprofit, a small nonprofit organization that we started, Laura and I started while we were spending that year living in Kenya. Essentially, we um, knew we wanted to, you know, dedicate the year in that orphanage to a project. And initially the elders had said, Hey, why don't you, um, build a running program for the kids and we were marathon runners and we liked running and we by no means thought we were better than any of the you know thousands of local kenyans who could beat us any day of the week in a road race but we were you know we were there and we had time so we kind of started up a a running program and then ended up over time after we left kenya hiring coaches and so the idea is is that Um, in many orphanages in East Africa and really throughout the world, you know, orphanages obviously have limited resources and they focus those resources on, you know, the, the most top line important things, food, shelter and, um, clothing and then schooling. And we said, Hey, you know, there's something else that a lot of these orphanages need once those needs are met and it's extracurricular programming and then long-term educational opportunities. So basically hope runs provided. In the first orphanage where we started and now in a few other orphanages, basically that essential extracurricular programming that keeps those kids from being idle when they're at home. Um, many of them have, you know, very deep emotional issues. And so having more structured activities is a really great way to kind of address some of that. Um, and many of them get structured activities through their church programming as well, but this is sort of an addition. So we um, basically run running programs in a few orphanages in Kenya, and then also have educational scholarships, essentially, for many of the runners to then go on to to college to pursue their um, pursue their undergraduate degrees or their technical college degrees. So yeah, it's just a small nonprofit. You know, we we kind of. Limp along but we're doing well
0: (laughs) so so for people who are listening if they uh, are interested in learning more getting involved somehow in hope runs what's the best way to uh, connect on that
1: yeah you can find hope runs at just hoperuns.org and we have a bunch of information about you know what we do and some of the volunteer opportunities we offer and the type of stuff we're fundraising for right now and the type of kids in our programs
0: Okay, we'll make sure that we uh, we provide links to that, and uh, we'll be encouraging folks to to check that out because it's a, certainly a worthy endeavor. I know that when I was younger, extracurricular activities kept me uh, out of trouble, and uh, I didn't even live in Kenya. Yeah, so.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> me too.
0: <laughs> Is uh, so. Sammy's in college right now.
1: Uh, he's not, he's waiting to start college. So he's kind of in a year of transition right now.
0: Okay. That sounds like my daughter.
1: Yeah. He finished his program in Ecuador and then, um, basically he didn't have enough scholarship money to start college in the U S this year. And so we decided, well, it'd be good for him to kind of connect back with his roots in Kenya as well as kind of get the book launched while he's not a freshman. So yeah. So he's kind of waiting and we're hoping that, the appropriate funds are on track to come through so that he can start in september.
0: so uh, last last thing, music books, movies, art in general. Um, what are you currently enjoying?
1: Uh, well, i I mean, the main thing I do aside from work is read. so i I set like this crazy reading goal every year of. 200 books to read in a given year this year i'm reading 150 though because i'm having a baby so i want to right. you know scale back so I, i'm really just like a huge reader and i kind of do that all the time uh currently i'm reading a book about my my husband says i always end up reading the same book over and over uh, which is kind of i i read books about kind of the problems of colonial east africa so i'm reading one of those right now
0: as well yeah if you feel like sharing what the name of the book is
1: Oh, yeah. It's like a book called Life, Life, Love and Elephants. It's about, you know, a, a, a white woman in Africa, basically, and all that that entails.
0: I see what your husband's saying then. Okay, because I just read this book called Hope Runs, which is kind of along those lines.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly right.
0: <laughs> well, for folks who want to uh, connect with you or uh, understand more about what's going on with you, what's uh, what's the best place to connect?
1: Yeah, I'm at clarediazortiz.com and it's a business blog, but I sometimes write about some other stuff and certainly things about this book will be on that, on that blog.
0: Excellent. So people should, uh, should navigate there and subscribe.
1: Yes. And if, um, if you're on the Twitters, I am, I am there very, very frequently as well. Uh, my name is, is easy. It's just at Claire, C-L-A-I-R-E. So. You can find me there.
0: You got involved early enough that you didn't need the last name.
1: I did. Yeah, I was lucky on that, <laughs> on that um, front.
0: All right. Excellent. Appreciate your time, especially under the circumstances, and uh, wish you owned the best for the book release and the forthcoming um, little person.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, and thanks for doing this.
0: Well folks, that was our interview with Claire. I hope you enjoyed that. I had a good time chatting with her. She has a great laugh and just obviously a very driven, intelligent, and fun person. And I, uh, I had a good time chatting with her. I hope you guys enjoyed hearing about uh, about her and Sammy and that journey together. By the way, Lucia was born April 6th, just nine days before Claire's book was released. On that day, Claire was tweeting her experience throughout labor. And this was actually something that Today Show picked up. They were chatting about in the Orange Room. So uh, any number of people uh, out there were sharing about Claire's baby Lucia being born. So pretty cool stuff. We're excited for her and we're praying for for her and uh, the family that all all goes well and everyone's healthy. And from the look of things online and uh, interacting on Twitter, it appears that Claire and the family are doing pretty well. If you're interested in supporting Sammy, and I think you should be, I recommend you go right out and pick up a copy of Hope Runs. Now, if you go over to Claire's site, we'll provide a link for you. She's giving away $100, excuse me, $150 in freebies, and also you'll be eligible to win over $1,000 in prizes if you buy a copy of the book. If effectively, you buy it and you send her the copy of the e-receipt so you can be eligible for that. But you should do that now because I don't know how long she intends to keep the giveaway going. So anyway, I want to encourage you to pick up that book, help support Sammy. And uh, it's also a good read, something that you'll talk about with your friends because it's a a neat story. Now, that's it for Episode 16. We'd like to encourage you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. It's an easy enough process. Head over to iTunes and subscribe there. Other places you can subscribe you can go uh, to Stitcher if you're an Android person Stitcher's a great place to do that there are lots of other podcast subscription and playing uh, apps out there but become a regular listener we'd uh, like to have you involved we think we uh, we bring in some neat artists some talented folks who have have important and good things to say and uh, we'd like just to have you part of that conversation also uh, if you don't mind we'd love it if you would go out there and leave a review of the show on iTunes you know one of the ways that we can get more People to listen to the show or get more exposure for the artists on the show is when you leave a review, good, bad, or indifferent. Obviously, we would prefer a good review. That doesn't mean you have to give us a good review. I'm not going to tell you give me a five-star review. Otherwise, you know I'll cry and run down the street. That's not going to happen. Also, don't forget to connect with us on social media. We are at Frequency FM on Twitter and on Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com/frequencyfm. Uh, you'll also find us lurking about on Google+. Just search for, you guessed it, Frequency FM, and we'll pop right up for you. All right, guys, I appreciate you listening. I hope that uh, you have a great post-Easter experience, that the uh, latter part of April and the better part of May are going to treat you well, and we'll look forward to talking to you soon. God bless, and don't stop creating.